Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going we're gonna to study for just a little bit about Acts 16 tonight to talk about Paul and Silas. So I want to start out by doing some uh, background work. Uh, Paul was on a missionary journey back in chapters 15 and previous to that with a close friend. Does anybody remember what his name was? Barnabas, right? Paul was with a close friend named Barnabas. Now, this was a dynamic duo. Paul and Barnabas were tight. And I kind of think of the dynamic duos that I've been introduced to in my life, like Batman and Robin. You know, they're a dynamic duo. Or Shrek and Donkey. For those of you who watch Shrek, Shrek and Donkey. Uh, Mac and Cheese is one of my favorite duos through the years that I've been introduced to. Or Shaggy and Scooby. For some of you, or Allison and Alex, for most of you, this is a dynamic duo. (laughs) Uh, But dynamic duos, uh, we're all introduced to them throughout our lives. And this is one of the dynamic duos of the Bible Paul and Barnabas. And they were tight and they were making an impact on the kingdom of God. And so this kind of comes as a, a disappointment to us as we read through the Bible. Because they kind of have a breakup. Uh, A lot of dynamic duos in pop culture uh, sometimes are on sports teams. If you have uh, two superstar athletes on a team, they get broken up and end up going to different teams. This is kind of the disappointment that we're we're getting here. Because Paul and Barnabas, uh, they just can't seem to agree with each other. Look at uh, chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, when you're in the middle of a major disagreement, if you're like me, it feels pretty dark. It feels pretty discouraging. Uh, maybe you've got some disagreements going on right now. Uh, hopefully not, but... Chances are almost every one of us can think of some kind of disagreement that we have with someone else in our life. I know I can. Things that maybe I disagree with, with someone else. And they're described as having, in verse 39, a sharp disagreement. So maybe you can put yourself in that situation uh, of a sharp disagreement. Like I said, maybe you don't have a sharp disagreement in your life with anyone right now, but I guarantee you that you have at some point, if not right now. So you know how these men feel. Even though they separated, that doesn't mean that that decision to separate came very easily for them. Uh, It could have been a much talked about event. Maybe they battled it out for a long time and tried to make this work, and it just didn't. And they separated. Maybe you've been in a job before where you're 
you and your boss just can't seem to get on the same page and you end up going a different direction. That's what's going on with these guys. And what I find incredible in the midst of a disagreement is that no matter how sharp of a disagreement you have with someone, God is powerful enough to use it. God's powerful enough to use it. And that's exactly what He does with Paul and Barnabas. God uses their disagreement to bring about good. So in this instance, God uses Barnabas, who takes Mark with him, who uh, Paul didn't want to go with them, but Barnabas did. And so Barnabas takes Mark, and you read there that he goes out, and they sell away to Cyprus, and they do some work there, encouraging the church there. And then Paul and Silas go over and minister to churches in several different areas. And so in a sense, God doubles his impact. God essentially doubles his impact uh, on different groups of people because they separated, because of their disagreement. And I'm sure it wasn't God's uh, number one plan A for his, these two ministers to separate from each other. But because it happened, God doubled his impact. And so I think that can be really encouraging to us if we're in the midst of a sharp disagreement right now with someone to think that God can use it. That God can use it. That God can use it to maybe strengthen the relationship that you have with the person that you disagree with. I think of different relationships I've had that I've disagreed with a close friend. And it almost strengthens our friendship when we have to come together and make things right. Uh, or you think about in a marriage, when you have a disagreement with your spouse, and you have to work through that together, that's good for you in the end. And it strengthens your marriage. And I think that uh, that's very encouraging to me. That Paul and Silas end up together as a team because of this sharp disagreement. And here they are, they're together, as we go into chapter 16 and following, that Paul and Silas are together for that reason, because of a disagreement. In the beginning of chapter 16, Timothy joins up with them, and they continue to make an impact on a great region. So they, they went over to Macedonia and preached the gospel. Then they leave from there uh, and meet up with a wonderful young lady named Lydia, who was eventually baptized into Christ. And then we get to the beginning of our story this morning and the story that our teachers are going to be focusing on at VBS, the story of Paul and Silas in jail. And that's where I want to pick up in verse 16 of Acts 16. So I want to read just verse 16 first. As we were going to the place of prayer, notice he uses the word we, the writer does. Uh, and we know that Paul and Silas are part of this missionary journey. And I told you just a moment ago that Timothy joined them earlier in the chapter. So the third or the fourth person uh, who I believe is writing this book, Luke, uh, uses the word we. And that's pretty awesome that uh, he's with them. So the person who's writing this book is not just telling a, a secondhand tale. He's there because he uses this word we several different times throughout this book, because he's there part of this uh, spiritual journey that they're on together. And he uses that word in chapter 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination 
and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So here we've got this young girl. We don't know how old because it doesn't tell us exactly how old she was. But we do know that she's a slave girl. And she's clearly being taken advantage of in these scriptures. She had a spirit of divination, uh, a demon. This demon was giving her special information about the future. And that's why it says she was fortune telling. And so she was going about and this demon was filling her with this information. And she was being paid or her. She wasn't. Her owners were being paid for her to share these fortunes. And that's what she's doing. This demon-possessed girl starts following them around. Look at verse 17. She's following them around and she says, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, Paul was not too happy about this. And we don't know. This is another one of those things where it doesn't exactly share why. Uh, but I kind of think that the reason is that he doesn't want to be associated with a demon that's following him around. This demon's following them around and, and yelling this out. And I'm amazed at this verse because it reminds me of what uh, James said when he said that the demons believe and shudder, right? Because there they are, these, this demon, and they know exactly who Paul and Silas are. This demon knows exactly the work that they're doing. And this is kind of a challenging verse for me because I I ask myself, if a woman with a demon were walking amongst us today, would they know that I was a follower of Christ? Would they see my actions and just immediately know that I was a follower of Christ and start saying these same words right here? Or would I appear to be just like everybody else, uh, just... And, and they wouldn't even be worried about the work I was doing. And so this is a challenging verse for me because I think about that right there. And these were men of God. There's no misunderstanding that. The way they lived, the way they taught, these men were known as men of God. And that's what the demon realizes. And when we get to verse 18, I want to read it. And this she kept doing for many days... Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So one of the few times in Scripture that Scripture uses a word that all of us can understand, that Paul was greatly annoyed. Have you been annoyed before? I'm sure you have. Uh, when I was reading this to prepare for this lesson, I was thinking about the common phrase, are we there yet? Have you heard that phrase before? I see a lot of parents doing this right here. Are we there yet? Now notice in, in the verse, it says, and this she kept doing for many days. This is not something that went on for a few hours, you know, as you drove over to uh, Atlanta or... It wasn't something that was short-lived. This is something that went on for several days. And I think about myself as I'm preparing to take this group of teenagers down to Florida in just a few weeks. And I guarantee you that before we reach the state of Florida, I will hear that phrase, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? Yeah, maybe it doesn't come in the exact form of are we there yet, 
but they will ask, how much longer? Or where are we at? And I'll hear that many, many times. Probably every hour on the hour, I'll be hearing that exact phrase. And it becomes quite annoying. And almost to the point that every trip you take, they don't even have to say it more than once to annoy you. Because you're already thinking about it. And you're thinking, they're about to say it. They're about to say it. When are they going to say it? And then when they say it, they're just like, just don't ask me. And they're like, goodness, I only asked once. Because you're preparing in your head. I imagine it got like that for Paul. Because several days this went on, and this woman kept on saying this same thing. These men are servants of the Most High God. Which She was even saying a true statement. Something that we would all like to be known for. But it still annoyed him. And so Paul, greatly annoyed, he commands this demon to come out of her. And it says that very hour it did. So why do you think her owners are going to be upset about this? Why do you think about it? What do you think? It takes away their money. Here they are. This this woman is bringing in. It says earlier it brought them much gain. You know, not just it brought them a little bit of money or they were, it's almost like they were raking in the dough in in, uh, slaying. They were making a lot of money off of this girl. And then Paul comes in, commands the spirit to come out of her, and now they can't use her to make any money. They can't take advantage of her anymore. And that's disappointing to them. That upsets them. They're very upset about that. So look down to verse 22 and 23, because what's going to happen is the story we know that they get thrown in jail, but maybe you're not as familiar with what happened to them before they got thrown in jail. Look at verses 22 and 23. The crowd, so not just the rulers, not just the soldiers, the whole crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them, not with their hands, not by thumping them, but with rods. He gave the order to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows, not one blow, not two blows, many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Not only were they put in jail, but they had their clothes torn off of them, which is a humiliating experience, I imagine. And they were beaten with rods. What an awful experience to have had. Uh, Have you ever had a beating like this? Now, I know a lot of you are thinking when you were a child and you were beaten by your parents, but probably not to the extent that these men were beaten. They were beaten terribly. Now, I've had some pretty bad beatings, like I said, but not like this. Now, forget about the physical beating, because hopefully none of you are being physically beaten right now. But I want you to think about the, the beating that they took emotionally. The beating that they took knowing that they were doing the will of God and they were beaten because of it. Now, 
like I said, hopefully none of you are being physically beaten. But I bet a lot of us are being emotionally beaten down by life right now. That you're, you're being beaten down by the things that you're experiencing. That you're being beaten down by family problems. Or someone in your family sick and it's beating you down emotionally. I'm sure a lot of us are experiencing that right now. And you can understand what these men are feeling emotionally when, when a group of people disappoint you and you're beaten down because of it. Now, if you're not in an emotional beatdown right now, either it's happened or it will happen, and you understand what these men are feeling. And the question is, that we have to ask ourselves is, how are we going to respond when we're emotionally beaten down? Because it's easy when we're beaten down like that to let our anger and to let our passion for what we're upset about to get the best of us. Now I want to look at verse 25. About midnight, now this is not the next day, You know, the story flows pretty freely here. It doesn't say several days went by while they were in jail. It says at midnight. So I I firmly believe that this is the same night that they were thrown in jail, the same night they were beaten. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I think back to my worst injury ever in my life. My worst injury ever came when I was about 13 or 14. Knock on wood, hopefully it don't come soon. Worse. And I haven't been injured very bad, but it came when I was about 13 or 14, and I was out in the yard throwing baseball with my best friend at the time. His name was Justin. Uh, Justin and I have not talked in many years, but I'm sure he remembers this story. Uh, Me and Justin were out in the yard throwing baseball, and his younger brother was throwing with us. He was a, a young boy. I don't remember how old he was, but he was probably at least 10 years younger than us. He was young. Well, he wasn't 10 years, or he'd be three or four. Uh, so he wasn't three or four. He was probably eight or nine years old, but he was, it felt like he was way younger than me. And so the way it was set up is I was on one end, his brother was in the middle, and he was on the other end. So we would both we would, I would throw it to the little brother, and then he would throw it to his older brother, and then backwards. So then his, he would throw it to his brother, and then his brother would throw it back to me. So we had a nice little system going there. And it wasn't the first time we had done this. You know, we were boys. We went outside a lot and played, played ball. And I remember my friend decided that instead of throwing the ball to his little brother, that he would throw it all the way across the line to me. And like I said, uh, that's not the way we had been doing things. And so when he had the ball, I wasn't anticipating the ball, of course, because I was waiting on him to throw it to his little brother first before it came to me. So I'm innocent in this injury. I just want to tell you, I'm innocent. And so I was just kind of wandering around, waiting on his little brother to get the ball. And... For some reason, I was turned all the way around. Uh, I don't know why, so I guess that makes me somewhat guilty. But I hear my name, Alex! And of course, I turn around, and there's a baseball right here. 
And I, don't, I had some pretty good reflexes back in my heyday, but not that good. I couldn't throw my glove up fast enough to catch a ball that's right here. So that ball just destroys right here on my face. It hits my nose, my upper lip, and the, my top teeth. And it caused me a lot of pain for several weeks following. Uh, my lip was swollen like this. There's a picture out there somewhere of my lip that I show people sometimes when they ask me about my injuries in the past. But trust me, you don't want to see it. Uh, it's a pretty bad injury. I remember my lip was so swollen that I spilt Lord's Supper juice all over my shirt the next Sunday because my lip was so swollen. And I remember having to go immediately to get stitches, and then the following week I had to go to an oral surgeon and get this brace put on my teeth to keep them in place. So if my teeth are a little crooked, you know why. Um, and I was in a lot of pain. And I remember going home that night and just wanting to get in bed and lay down and ball up and go to sleep. I, didn't, I wasn't worried about eating. I wasn't worried about watching TV. I just wanted to go home and go to sleep so that pain would go away. Now, Paul and Silas experienced a much worse beating than what I had by this baseball. They were beaten by rods. And here they are at midnight. Remember, it's not early. It's late. They have to be tired. They're in pain. They've been beaten. Uh, Being beaten is a part of the story that I often forget about when I read about them up at midnight singing praises to God and praying to Him about their situation. How amazing that must have been to the other prisoners. As they look over and see the scars on their bodies, see the blood maybe still running down their bodies, and yet they're up at midnight singing praises to God. And the prisoners are listening to them. I think that's a pretty amazing fact as well. That they're up listening to these men sing and pray to God. So I want to ask you, in the midst of your pain, there's no better way to strengthen your bond with God than, to, than in the midst of your pain. If you're in the midst of an awful pain right now, there's no better way, better time, to strengthen your relationship with God than, than now. Because a lot of times in the midst of our emotional pain or physical pain, we don't know where else to turn but to Him. And it's a great opportunity to... Strengthen our relationship with God. But I, want, I also have some news for you. That people, the people around you are watching to see how you're going to respond to your pain. People know you that you are a Christian. And when something bad happens in your life, they want to see the way you respond. And you have an incredible opportunity, not only to strengthen your relationship with God, but to have a an impact on the people around you and their relationship with God because of your pain. Paul and Silas had that opportunity. And notice, notice this in this story that not only were the other prisoners watching and listening, but God was watching and listening to see how they were going to respond to their trial. And I'm confident that God is also watching our response to the trial that we face, to the pains that we face every single day in our life. God is watching and listening 
And look at verse 26. We get proof that God was listening to them as they prayed and sung out to God. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I think this is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. I really do. I wonder sometimes if this is how Paul and Silas expected God to answer their prayer. You know, I'm sure that they expected that God would free them from prison and give them an opportunity to go and preach the gospel, but I wonder if they expected an earthquake, and for their, for not just theirs, but all the prisoners in this prison, for their bonds to become opened, for the jail cells to open, the doors to open, I bet they didn't expect that. I bet that was kind of a shock to them too. And immediately they could have responded by running, They could have ran off and thought, God's letting us loose so that we can go and spread the gospel. Let's go. No, they thought about the relationships they had with the people right there in that prison. The people who had been listening to them, praying and singing. They stayed. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Verses 28 and 30. 30. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he says, We're all here. We're all, we're staying. We're waiting on you. We don't want you to get in trouble. We're here. Verses 31 through 33, I want you to see what happens. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night. Remember, it was already midnight back when they were singing. So this is middle of the night. He took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at at once. He and all his family. What an amazing thing that happened because of a sharp disagreement earlier and because these men had a great relationship with God because they prayed and they asked God to come into this situation. So I want to ask you, are you looking for the answer to your prayers? These men, maybe, maybe they were surprised by the answer to their prayer, but are you noticing when God is answering your prayer and taking advantage of that? And how are you responding to your trial? Are you responding to your trial in a way that other people would look at you and say, that is a Christian. That person right there is in the middle of something that's unthinkable. They're going through more than I could ever imagine and look at them. They're still having a relationship with God. They're praising Him every single day. I want to be like that. Are you showing them what the Christian life is all about. Because honestly, I don't always. When I'm in the midst of pain, this is not always the thing that's first on my mind. So I'm challenging you now to start looking for the answers to your prayer so that you can take advantage and make an impact on the kingdom of God. If you have a need tonight, I want you to come forward. I want you to make your relationship right with God. Maybe that means you need to be baptized, become one with Him, or maybe you just need to repent. 
to make your relationship right with God, to start now in the midst of your pain to make an impact not only on your kingdom, uh, your eternal kingdom, but the kingdom for your family and for all the people around you. If you have a need tonight, come forward as we stand and sing.